Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. I hope you're enjoying this free podcast novel. It is provided free of charge for your listening pleasure. It is a chance for you to enjoy, completely free, this pulp sci-fi adventure series, which is, as I mentioned, free. Did I mention the word free enough to let the guilt set in? Cool. Right now, you can support the podcast by going to kickstarter.com slash projects slash Runes of Empire and get yourself a copy of Runes of Empire number two, Templum Venerous, before it even hits Amazon. You can get signed copies of the paperback, hardback, or even just throw a dollar in the pot to say, yep, I like what you're doing. Keep it up. And as always, thank you for listening. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, Book One of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author and Tyler Murphy. The story so far. Isra Jacario, leader of the Human Reconnection Project, and Vaco Spade, the project's enforcer, met with Vince LeBond, the director of the corporation's mission to Titan. Isra Jacario went in ready to fight in order to make sure that the corporate mission did not harm a possible civilization on the moon. To her surprise, Laban gave in to her every demand. In the end, Isra advised Vaco to remain vigilant. Afterward, Laban went to the crew quarters to seek out Sergeant Carr, a corporate marine veteran, and assigned him the task of watching over the Human Reconnection Project. Chapter 3. History has a strange sense of the ironic. In the beginning of the 21st century, global corporations emerged on the world stage as a power that rivaled the traditional nation-state. Their lust for money and power drove them to, at first, undermine, and later, utterly destroy the governments whose job it was to keep them in check. After the collapse of the great nations, the United States, China, the European Union, India, and the Russian Federation, there was only one entity that could possibly fill the power vacuum. Hence, the global corporations were forced, over time, to unite and form the corporation, a governing body to provide the oversight and regulation they fought so hard to destroy, in essence, becoming exactly what they so despised. From the Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization, by Martin Raff. Titan was tightly locked to Saturn, which meant that it stayed in the same spot above the horizon, Every day throughout Titan's year, the ringed planet remained perfectly still while the icy moons and stars drifted across the sky. During the seven-day-long night, it bathed the moon in a soft glow that rivaled the light from the sun during the day. It cast deep shadows through the towering trees and rocky outcroppings that dominated the skyline. The moon was silent except for the wind through the trees and the muted sound of laughter and mayhem that came from a certain clearing. There, the remains of a massive tanker ship lay where it crashed nearly a millennium ago. It was almost part of the forest now. Only small parts of steel and aluminum underneath the vines, firs, and trees gleamed in the soft glow. The flicker of firelight could be seen through the windows that were still open to the sky. There was a rare sense of warmth on a moon coming out of another frigid night. A solitary man opened one of the hatches. He wrapped thick, heavy furs around his body as he stepped onto the hard, frozen ground. It was cold, dreadfully cold. It stung every piece of exposed skin. The man spat, and it snapped as it froze in midair. 
It was always coldest in the long, final hours before the sun returned to warm the moon again. He stopped walking and turned his gaze upward. Only Saturn, Rhea, two or three icy moons, and a few of the brightest stars could cut through the constant cloud cover of Titan. The rest of the sky was like a choking black sheet. The man reflected on the tales from ancient times. Stories of men who jumped from faraway stars and brought the people to Titan. Tonight, it felt like whoever brought them here covered the moon in clouds so they could never escape. Well, it was official. On this night, after hours of argument in the Great Hall, the elders finally made their decision, and another generation of his people would grow up as slaves. Most would die, but a few would come back, become old men, and sell another generation into slavery. Titan was a place where everything remained constant, even the sky dominated by the great ringed planet. The man bowed his head and recited a prayer. It was the quiet sort, meant to be heard only by the man and any deity that cared to listen. He spoke in the language of his people, a language that, legend says, was also a gift from the ancients who came before. Great Compagnio, I still believe you care about all the people of Titan. I still believe you will come for us some day. Please, give me some sign. Show me that my faith is not misplaced. Let me know that I am doing the right thing. Saturn didn't move, nor did any of the icy moons or stars. Nothing ever changes on Titan. Just as the man turned to go back to the warmth of the ship, a light filled the entire sky. Brighter than Saturn, brighter than the sun during the day, it lit the entire horizon with a blinding flash. When the light dimmed and he could see again, there was a new star flying across the sky at amazing speed. The flash was bright enough to draw more people from the ship. They gasped at the white point of light speeding towards the horizon. There were descriptions of stars like this in the ancient writings, but nothing like it had been seen in a thousand years. The people knew what they were seeing, even if they couldn't put words to it. The man turned to the assembled crowd and screamed in their native tongue, They have returned! They have returned! They have come to free us at last! I called for them and they have come! We must gather offerings. We meet at the landing place. Compagnio has returned. Return to free us all. Inside one of the shuttle's staging areas, Vago struggled to put on the shirt piece of his aero suit in a room with 10 or 15 other corporate personnel. He privately wondered if someone purposefully gave him a suit that was a size or two too small for him so that the others could enjoy watching a man of Vago's size turn himself into a sausage. The material was a strange sort, flexible in some places, stiff and pokey in others. The way it felt reminded Vago of the plate mail armor used by some tribes of the Martian steppes, except this suit was thin, lightweight, black, and had a slight shine to it. As he pulled the top half into place, the whole thing adjusted. Bits of metal, wire, and fabric pulled and pinched in some very awkward and, at times, very personal places. Then, there was Althea's RX-5 medical regulator. It was waiting for him in the supply locker, having made its way to him from the medical bay through all sorts of corporate channels. He clamped the device on his right shoulder and clenched his teeth while the metal plates and probes spread out across his chest to his heart and to the middle of his spine on the other side. Once he felt he was through the worst of the discomfort, he put on the white khaki pants and the white jacket, checking the inside pocket to make sure his stash of Triple T was still there. He slipped a sleeve-shaped device on his forearm that covered it from wrist to elbow. 
He removed the earbud charging in a matchbox-sized compartment in the locker, placed it in his ear, and touched the screen on the inside of his forearm to activate it. The same infuriating computerized woman's voice sounded in his ear. Welcome to the Body Mod Consortium Version 8 Environmental Reorientation and Operations Suit. Our goal is to make your work outside the confines of Earth gravity and atmosphere as safe and as comfortable as possible. That was the corporation, thought Vago. Always trying to make everyone safe and comfortable, like a big suffocating blanket around all of society. He grabbed his hat and followed a few of the others out of the staging area and into the hallway leading towards the cargo bay. Your aero suit is equipped with nano-actuators built into the polycarbonate weave that will help compensate for microgravity conditions. Oxide-based conductors use the suit's motion and your own heat to keep your body at a comfortable temperature while working in harsh, extraplanetary environments. Lights flashed through the corridors and the same woman's voice announced that the main bay doors were opening. Even though the hallways were choked with engineers, scientists, and soldiers, he increased his pace through the crowd. He reached one of the airlocks leading to the cargo bay, already packed full with people, and, despite the protests of a few, crammed himself inside before the door slammed shut. Your aerosuit is also equipped with an interface pad attached to your arm. This provides an uplink to the Corporation Satellite Network for location and communication services. Welcome to Titan, and have a safe and productive visit. The airlock door slid open, and a flood of completely new, heavy, choking air filled his lungs. It was like sticking his face in a bag of noxious gases. At the same time, there was something invigorating about it. There was so much more oxygen here. Baker could feel it in every cell of his body. The cargo bay was a mass of carefully controlled chaos as a thousand different people tried to accomplish a thousand different tasks at the exact same time. Soldiers in formation marched in double time into the blinding light outside to secure the perimeter. Teams of workers tried to keep spools of hose as large as a tractor tire from rolling uncontrolled down the ramp. Closer to the open doors, he could make out a landscape of towering trees already being obscured by tall metal scaffolds, inflatable dome structures, and drilling rigs. Civilization had arrived on Titan, and it was already making a mess of the place. Vago rammed his wide-brimmed hat in place and activated the communications application through the screen on his arm and selected Isra's channel. There was a series of tones through his earpiece as the computer connected. Isra's voice came through. Where are you, Vago? Vago looked around. Cargo bay. Just gonna take a walk outside, see about getting my guns back. We will meet at the weapons depot, said Isra, ending the comm. Vago took his first steps onto the alien world. The ground was soft, granular, and its boots sank into it like wet sand on a beach when the waves came in. The landing zone was surrounded on three sides by a green-blue ocean that stretched beyond the horizon. Ahead, the land disappeared into a dense, green forest. The trees were so impossibly tall that the tops disappeared into the orange mist that covered the sky of Titan. From his position, it looked like a solid green wall between civilization and the rest of the planet. The sun, peeking through the perpetual clouds, was just above the sea, and, above it, the planet Saturn, twice the size as the moon as viewed from Earth. Even with the aerosuit, it was cold here. Not a harsh freeze, but an invigorating chill that encouraged a man to keep active to stay warm. Vago buttoned up his jacket and went looking for the marine supply depot. It turned out it wasn't terribly hard to find. Just about every hard-faced, dull-eyed goon wearing Corporation Blue armor was headed in the same direction, 
and soon he found a whole mess of them lined up single file in front of a collection of crates, where a few ranking officers were handing out standard-issue gear and weapons. Vago got into one of the lines and, before he knew it, found himself at the front. There weren't many good things one could say about Corporation Marines, but they were efficient, which, depending on what they were trying to accomplish, might be another strike against them. A corporal near the supply crates was entering something into his own aero suit when Vago walked up. He gave Vago a look of barely contained disgust and continued to key in commands on the arm computer. Name and rank, soldier. The word soldier had a distinct sarcastic tone to it. Vago Spade, and I'm with the Human Reconnection Project. Special assignment with the Ministry. The corporal tapped a few icons on the screen. Applies for corporation military only. Next. A Marine behind him started to push forward, but Vago didn't move. Excuse me, sir. I don't want to bother you, but I got a job to do, same as you. You should have two older-style handguns. Another man, a sergeant, approached the line of Marines and surveyed the situation for a moment. His corporation blue breastplate had black carbon scoring in several areas, and he bore a large, jagged scar down the side of his face that just missed his left eye. Apart from that, the man's every physical characteristic was straight out of the corporation marine guidelines, from the shine on his boots to the short, blonde crew cut. His gaze settled on Vago. It was a smug, bemused look. The same look that a man like him might give to a yapping puppy right before he shot it. "'What exactly is the problem here?' he asked wearily. Before the corporal could answer, Vago looked at the sergeant in the eye and said, No problem. I was going to collect my guns and be on my way. Vince Ban told me they'd be here, sergeant. The man activated the screen on his arm. Carr. Sergeant Carr. Name and rank? Vago Spade. Special assignment from the ministry. Something flashed on the sergeant's screen that made him smile. Then he looked Vago up and down as if sizing him up. Vago Spade. Interesting. I do see an entry in the ship's manifest for a pair of antique guns, but I'm afraid I am not authorized to release any non-standard equipment to any personnel, and certainly not to non-corporate entities. The hell is that supposed to mean? It means that the corporation is not in the habit of handing out unapproved weapons to civilians and letting them run rampant through the operation. The way Carr pronounced the word civilians told Vago that he was a man who divided the universe into two groups, military and non-military. Non-military belonged to the same group as cockroaches. Vago stood fast. Listen, Vince LeBan said this is where I could pick up my guns, and I aim to stay here till it happens. Then I suggest you take it up with LeBan. We've got a whole platoon to equip, and we don't have time to bend over for every ministry brat with a false sense of entitlement. Come back when you have the proper authorization. Move along. The man behind Vago tried to push his way in front, but Vago shot him a glare and stood his ground. He took a step forward until he was eye to eye with Sergeant Carr. The two sized each other up for a moment before Carr added, You got something to say? The wisest thing would be to just walk away. On the other hand, there were a few things in the universe better than slapping down some testosterone-torqued imbecile. It was the most satisfying thing one could accomplish, fully clothed. Just some advice, said Vago. I don't know what aftershave you're using, but it smells like a dog's glung dye. No, you can just spray a little round, right? You're not supposed to bathe in the stuff. Carr chuckled slightly. What do you want to do about it? Vago shrugged. 
Might take you out, toss you in the ocean there, wash some of the stink off you. Carr paused for a moment with the smug smile still on his face, then he looked at the man behind Vago. Get this guy out of here and keep the line moving. I'm on assignment, so I'll be briefing my unit early. I suggest you all be ready. A hand tried to pull Vago away from the front of the line. Without thinking, the Martian spun around and punched. With luck, he caught a soldier just below the jaw and the Marine fell like a sack of grain in a stupid blue uniform. Another rushed forward and swung for Vago's head. He covered himself with his left arm while his right landed a punch in the man's kidneys. The Marine groaned, staggered back, and Vago took the opportunity to land a punch directly on the man's face. Vago put up his hands and waited for another fighter, but the rest of the Marines in line kept their distance. Behind him, there was the whine and click of several corporation sidearms being cocked. Vago put his hands on the back of his head. He turned to find that he had an excellent view of the inside of at least nine gun barrels. Isra strolled into this scene as if Vico being held at gunpoint by several angry corporation officers was as normal as the sunrise in the morning. Calm down. Everybody, just calm down for a moment. What exactly is happening here? Carr lowered his gun, but the others around him didn't. This man assaulted my soldiers. Isra looked up at Vago accusingly. Is this true? There was a disagreement, said Vago mildly. What kind of disagreement? I wanted my guns. They felt the exact opposite. Isra sighed and pulled up the sleeve on her jacket. Isra had thrown some clothes on over her arrow suit as well, but only a pair of tan pants and a thick brown jacket, both of which had seen more than a few off-world missions, and would likely see a few more. She activated the Eros computer and started to work. Carr bared his teeth and turned to his own soldiers. Put this man in bonds and escort him to the brig. Isra didn't look up. As you were, Marines. Sergeant, I see you put a hold on Vago's guns. Now, I have authorization from two ministry officials and one consortium officer to secure all equipment needed for this mission and that overrides such a petty procedural tactic. Carr straightened up as if pressing a point that overrides everything else. He assaulted my men. Vago balled up his fist. Damn right. I'll take out every last one of you, Yamei Kagachie. Isra looked up. Vago, stand down or I'll slap the bombs on you myself. Vago seethed, but stepped back. Isra went back to her Eros computer. A copy of the order should be on its way to your SATCOM as we speak. Now, if you want to press the issue, I can request an emergency tribunal in accordance with corporation law. It will take hours, put this whole operation behind, and you will still lose. How do you feel about that? Something beeped at Carr and he checked his own computer, then shrugged. It checks out. Go get him what he wants. A few seconds later, a Marine brought a steel case from the supply depot and placed it on top of a crate. Vago opened it and produced two handguns. They were both modeled after the ancient Remington M1911 design and cast in dull, tarnished bronze. They might look like something that belonged in a museum, but these were built by the finest gunsmith on Mars, which put him in contention for the best gunsmith in the known universe. The gunmaker's sign, Ulfbert, was engraved into each of their handles. Carr watched and sniffed. I knew you people went looking for ancient civilizations. Didn't think you still used the same weapons as them. Vago slid a clip into the chamber and peered to the sights. They're the most effective weapons in the world, provided you have an attack strategy more complex than spray bullets and hope for the best. Isra snapped at him. Enough. Sergeant, 
Are we good here? Carr shook his head. We got rules here. Make sure they are followed. Carr looked around at the audience that had amassed. What are you all staring at? Get back to work. Then he stomped off. Easter grabbed Vago's arm as he slid his guns into a pair of shoulder holsters. We must go. They walked toward the shuttle for a few moments before Easter spoke. Really, Vago, can you even be on Titan for a whole hour before picking a fight? To be fair, said Vago, adjusting his hat, they were doing checks for 90 minutes when we landed, so I've been on Titan for almost two hours before picking a fight. Do you have any idea what that was all about? Isra shrugged. Carr orchestrated that meeting. That is why he put that block on your weapons. He wanted to meet you, size you up, and see how you handle conflict. Wait, the computer said all that? No, said Isra, walking a touch faster. The system just indicated a block on those items. It did not indicate who, but it was him. Isra's ability to read minds at work. It made the hairs on Vago's neck bristle. Why would he do that? Because you are going to fight him soon. He wanted to see who would win. Yeah, and who's going to win? Well, considering how you were faring when I walked up, I would say your prospects do not look good without a change of venue. Now please hurry. Car is not our problem right now. There is someone even more disagreeable. Vago thought about this. More disagreeable than Car? Did you run into a cougar with a stick up his iljig? Isra shook her head. Something like that. I need your help. What do you want me to do? You ever heard of the Gordian Knot? Vago thought for a moment. Thinking I might have been doing that with a girl in old Hong Kong. It was thrilling, but bruised my back something fierce. Not what I was talking about, but similar themes might apply. And also, you were disgusting. They walked back to the shuttle where Althea was standing near a corporation crawler. It was a six-wheeled, all-terrain vehicle with two seats and a large cargo bed capable of carrying two standard corporation crates side by side. There were several stacks of those crates nearby, and Althea was in the middle of a deep philosophical debate with the cargo officer about them. Over her own arrow suit, she wore a white medical coat, as if she wanted the entire world to know that she was still a doctor, even if the medical consortiums on Earth disagreed. It didn't seem to have any positive influence on the current conversation, either. For the last time, I don't have the code to unlock them, but there's nothing inside but food, equipment, and other supplies. What could we possibly bring? The corporation officer, who looked like he had been a boxer 20 years ago, touched some icons on his Eros computer. Sorry, orders from up top. All cargo not assembled by the corporation personnel needs to be inspected. Isra walked up with Vago and pointed to four crates in a pile by the crawler. They stood out from the others, being slightly smaller, green instead of blue, marked with the Ministry Globe and Olive Branch, and secured with an electronic lock on the front, which Vago assumed was the original point of contention. Those, Vago, said Isra, if you would be so kind as to load them onto the crawler. Vago paused, looked at the crates, and then at the corporation worker. Vago had a few inches and a decade or two on the man, but there would still be a considerable scrap if the two men got into it. And, unlike the previous situation, Vago guessed that corporation law wasn't on their side. So Isra was playing a game of chicken using Vago as the front bumper. Vago stepped towards the stack. Each crate was about two meters long and half a meter wide and deep with handles on either side. It was far too long for Vago to get his arms around and, even in the fractional gravity of Titan, carried considerable weight. 
He grabbed the handle on one and pulled it off the pile. It fell and embedded itself in the soft ground. I'll get dock security, the official tried. Vago started dragging the crate across the ground, leaving a little trail as he went. Isar watched, pleased with herself. Please do. I would hurry, though. Despite what it looks like, the Martian works fast. Vago set the side he was carrying on the back of the crawler. He walked around the other side, shot Isra the quickest of dirty looks, and lifted and pushed the other end so that the crate was fully loaded onto the back of the six-wheeled vehicle. Isra continued, And when they do come, there will be paperwork. They will want to take your statement and file reports. Then, of course, there is your schedule. But I am sure you will make up for lost time. You may even be commended for stopping such an egregious act. You know how the corporation rewards its people. Vago lumbered back to pull another case over. The officer scowled and waved his finger in Easter's face. I'm going to get security, and if I find out that your people took off... A world of trouble that we cannot fathom. Thank you, sir. The officer cast one look at all three of them and stomped off. Vago pulled the second crate off and started dragging. He ain't coming back, is he? Althea rushed over and took the other side. She strained a little bit but managed to get the end off the ground. Or he will, but he'll make bloody sure that we are already gone. That way he's done his duty, but without mucking up his day. Isra stood still, watching the man leave. Most likely, we should still move as fast as possible. He does not have a high sense of duty or loyalty to the corporation, but just enough that he does not wish to be seen as ineffective. When they placed the fourth and final crate, Althea checked the serial numbers against a list on her Eros computer. That's all of them. Everything in the register. Seems like a lot, muttered Vago, looking at the pile and wiping his forehead with his hat in his other hand. Isra patted the crates. It is adequate. Vago put his hat back on his head. What's with all this friction from the corporation? They are a bunch of Ayan Togin Olgachi, but they ain't usually this stirred up. They're more the path of least resistance taps. Isra walked towards the front of the crawler. Titan is their last, best hope. Althea turned off her screen. Hope for what, exactly? Isra sighed and turned to address the two. Titan is not just another land grab for them, or another group of people for them to exploit. One thousand years ago, the various corporations managed to hold Earth hostage, and they used energy to do it. They lost their grip because that energy disappeared. It is one of the things that contributed to the fall. But Earth's got plenty of energy, said Vago, folding his arms. Got new solar tech? Fusion? Hell, I read something recently about anti-what's-it. The antimatter reactor field, said Althea patiently. Yeah, that. So what do they need Titan for, he concluded, waving dismissively in the direction of the camp. The problem is, said Isra, stressing a word, those energies cannot be controlled by any one person or entity. The sun is always up. Hydrogen for fusion is ubiquitous. And once you can isolate it, antimatter just pops into existence. You cannot control them. Not entirely. You can, perhaps, control the necessary equipment for a time. But that is a temporary monopoly at best. Petrochemicals, on the other hand, are easier. And we are standing on the largest single source in the solar system. In other words, said Althea, placing her medical bag in the backseat of the crawler, if the corporation controls Titan, 
They're well on their way to controlling the rest of the solar system. Eastford nodded slightly. Exactly. The Human Reconnection Project was formed to study and protect lost civilizations, but our mission here has repercussions that extend well beyond Titan. I do not exaggerate when I say the fate of all human civilization, in all its forms, hinges on this mission. Vago pulled one of his guns and checked the chamber. Well then, we best get to moving. We are still waiting for one more person, said Isra, reviewing some of the data on the screen attached to her arm. Vago let the slide of his gun snap back into place. One more person? Since when? Isra touched a few icons. The Ministry suggests that we include an old Earth computing and communications expert. He should be arriving shortly. I have sent our location to his aero suit. Who is this guy? Isra shut off her Eros computer. I am unfamiliar with him. He goes by a cryptic code name. What is his code name? said Vago. I am Kronos, answered a voice. Vago looked around for a moment, but he didn't see the source. It was like the words came from nowhere until Vago risked a glance downward. He saw a round face almost completely hidden by a huge set of dark goggles staring up at him. The odd-looking little man was dressed in a dark green vest and dark green pants over his own arrow suit. Both looked too new, as if he'd purchased them specifically for this trip. He also wore a backpack large enough for him to climb into if the occasion came up. The man gave Vago a wide, borderline insane grin and stuck out his hand. Pleased to meet you, Vago Spade. Vago reached out to shake his hand. Kronos' small, bony appendage practically disappeared inside his fist. You know me? When conducting a symphony, one must know every instrument. One must read the notes in order to play the music. You are Vago Spade, the first man born on another planet to return to Earth since the fall. Kronos pulled his hand out of Vago's grip and moved to take Althea's. Althea Fallon, said Kronos, a great shining star of the medical world that unexpectedly disappeared without a trace. She resurfaces now on Titan, using her brilliance and beauty to light the darkest regions of the solar system. Althea gave Kronos a nervous little smile. Thank you, I... I think, she said. And Isra Jakario, said Kronos, moving down the line. I have to admit, a certain amount of ignorance here. I could not find any records of you before you were appointed as an ambassador in the ministry four years ago. Isra grumbled, but shook his hand. And you, Kronos... What is your real name, and what are you doing here? My real name? At birth I was given a name, but it is not the one that I chose. I chose Kronos, and it is by Kronos that I am known. If all the world calls me Kronos, well, that is my real name. Kronos peeled the goggles off his face and grinned at the three of them. He looked like a person who considered sleep a thing that other people wasted their time with, among other silly ideas like direct sunlight. It was impossible to tell his age, but a balding patch suggested somewhere in his thirties, or possibly forties. Still, Kronos had the kind of pure exuberance in the way he moved and talked that only came from youth, or maybe some heavy medication. Kronos continued, There is a civilization on Titan. Isra interrupted, We got reports from a leak somewhere in the corporation, but we do not know for a fact. It is there, said Kronos firmly, and with it, an ancient computer system, I came here to find it and see what secrets it has. Old data from the ancients. Very valuable. If you say so, muttered Isra, walking toward the crawler. 
She grabbed a small data chip from the seat and inserted it into a slot in her aero suit just below the elbow. She beckoned everyone closer as a holographic map of the area appeared in the air. We are here, said Isra, indicating a blinking dot near the south coast of Legia Mar. We believe the city is located somewhere here. A large piece of land on the western side of the ocean, several dozen kilometers away, started blinking. We will follow the coast around the Legia Mar. Satellite images pick up some sort of structure along the western coast. Moving at a steady pace, we should be able to reach it in approximately 12 hours. Our mission is to stall for time. We make contact, send word back to the ministry, proving that there's a civilization here, and thus force the corporation to stand down operations until the civilization can be studied and protected. Is everyone prepared? Vigo did one more visual check of his guns and replaced them in his shoulder holsters. While he did, he cupped the capsules of Triple T he had stashed in his jacket pocket for reassurance. Ready. Althea patted her black medical bag in the back as if to assure herself that it was there and took a seat in the driver's side. Good to go. Kronos unpacked a device that looked like two silver vines wrapped around each other. He slipped his arm through the twisting silver coils. Each finger moved into an intricate series of interconnected rings. With that, he pulled his goggles back over his eyes and climbed on the top of the crates. Lights came from the strange metal glove, and his goggles started glowing a pale green as he laid down. I am prepared. To a new world. Fago, you take point, said Isra. Althea turned on the crawler's electric engine, and Vago started walking out over the soft sand toward the west. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, the first book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Broken Reality by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license. <laughs>